What's up guys? Welcome to our Counterculture Reacts. Uh, my name is Joel, and to my left is our deferent pastor, Pastor Jamie. Uh, together we want to motivate the church to influence the culture around us with the kingdom of God by applying a biblical worldview to every single topic. Amen. Uh, make sure you subscribe to our Freedom Church NJ YouTube channel and wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, leave a comment on what you thought and if you have another topic that you'd like for us to address. Uh, we love when we get those comments, so yeah. keep them coming. And we'd like to thank our sponsors. We have Born Again Baking, mm -hmm. uh, Lucy Lynch. If you have an opportunity, you want to go to bornagainbaking.com. If you put in CC10, you get 10% off your order. Mm -hmm. And also go to Friends of Today's Choice, which is uh, uh, an organization, friendsoftodayschoice.org, which is a, a women's resource center in Newton, New Jersey. Um, check out their website. They, they're doing an amazing amount of good work yeah. uh, for... Uh, helping young women, helping women in general, um, you know, uh, understand the importance of having a child and then also um, following up. Yeah, following up them. and taking care of them. So, mm -hmm. so they're doing a great work. Um, and uh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, those are our sponsors. Yeah, so last week we uh, decided to do a little bit of a different format um, <clears throat> by watching a video and then stopping and starting it and giving our reactions as we go. So we started uh, an evening of eschatology, which we have dubbed the video <clears throat> on YouTube yes. because of how much that we watched it and we love it. So um, we're excited to get into uh, part two of that. If you haven't watched part one, be sure to watch that before you watch this. Otherwise, you're going to be totally lost. <laughs> more than <laughs> You'll be lost when you watch the first one. Right. You're going to be way lost exactly. if you just watch this one. Right. Um, so our point in this is uh, so that we can come to a better understanding of the scriptures and have an open mind when discussing a topic that a lot of people don't have an open mind about. Yeah, <laughs> so, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we definitely want to do that. So with that as a disclaimer. And we'd love um, to hear what you think about this, this kind of uh, format too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, You absolutely. like this better, you like it worse, you know. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Sure, Something if you like, like it worse. Yeah, um, yeah so... We're going to start from uh, an hour, about an hour in, right about halfway through, and we're going to finish it today, no matter how tired Amen. me and Jamie are. Amen, let's go. So, all right. Just keep going. Just keep going. Here we go. <laughs> you have huge ambiguity in discerning what the condition at the end will be, and, and I do too. Mine is, I'm, I'm not sure what the reaching of all the nations will be. That's in Matthew 24. I prefer to call it mm -hmm. principled ambiguity. Okay, instead of huge. Huge, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ambiguity on purpose. Uh, okay, but it, it does, it does leave open some remarkable possibilities, like he could come very soon. <clears throat> Not like a thousand yes. years from now. I, and yeah. the, the Global South events and the massive spread of Christianity in Latin America and Asia and Africa, as thin as it may be, the books that are being written about it, the new Christendom and so on, are perhaps enough not. Right. I said earlier, I suspect not, but it's certainly possible. I, I think it'd be dangerous and arrogant to prescribe for God what he can and can't yeah. do. Yeah. And this could, if, it, if, if this is um, his time, I suspect we're still in the period of the early church. But if that's wrong, um, I would... Uh, All I the pre-millennials just about spit out their drink. <laughs> and, um, Rush Duty, the reconstructionist guy. One, one time I saw him is at a conference, long? and he said something on this... Uh, with regard to the premillennial option, which I've 
would amen heartily, and that is, he, he said, I'm not opposed to changing my theology in midair. So we're all going to be in midair. <laughs> we're all gonna, we're, we're, I think we're going to be agreed out there. Yeah. Right. Just where do we go yeah. once, once we meet him in midair? Another view. Yes. Yeah, I know. Poor Sam. He tried to jump the gun, and now you're having to wait. All right. I've always so wanted to do penance. In, in 30 <laughs> seconds, 30 distinguish. Seconds. Give me the outline that. Con that He's the guy. The basic yeah, harp on all millennialism. The premillennialism. All the positions are named with reference to where you place the second coming of Christ, okay. with regard to the millennium. So the premillennial view is the millennium is a thousand years of peace on earth, and Christ comes prior to the millennium, so hence premillennial. Right. Postmillennial says that the millennium is an earth, has an earthly manifestation, and we can see the progress of the gospel in time and history on earth, and Christ's coming is after the millennium, post-millennial. Post okay. So that's the, that's the basic distinction between pre and post. Yeah, good. I was just thinking <laughs> about stopping it there. Yeah, do you want to go? Because that really is the... Uh, uh, getting a hold of that kind of Look how happy this guy is yeah <laughs> getting a hold of that the the understanding of that really helps mm -hmm. because right. like right. we said in the first video it's really like learning another language yeah, exactly and so understanding what would make you a pre-millennial you know your your viewpoint pre-millennial Pre-millennial, amillennial, or, or, or post-millennial right. is so key to, yeah. to kind of seeing where you where you land on end times kind of things, mm -hmm. you know, and the, and the work of the church and all of that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and most most people today, at least in, you know, modern evangelical churches, they're kind of brought up pre-millennial yeah. without really challenging that with any other type of view. So, like what Doug is saying as the post-millennialist is uh, since— we would be in at least one stage of this purported millennium now, which is where um, Satan is bound in the sense of he can't um, stop the spread of the gospel, sure. which at least that we do see, you know, uh, in this world, and that um, people are coming to Christ, you know, in greater numbers than they have been in the past. Um, but um, the major difference is before Christ comes back for a post-millennial, you're really going to see more and more people becoming saved and becoming right. Christians. And that's that's really the, that's the problem, though, that, okay. that the premillennial tends to have with that viewpoint. Right. Is, uh, is because, and we were talking about this tonight in counterculture, but the the idea, like, it's so hard to, to look at what we see in culture today mm -hmm. and think that God is allowing the gospel to to influence the, the culture around the church, mm -hmm. you know, and, and be, be building his kingdom right, that way. Right. It's so hard to look because you see, you know, well, people are being, you know, right. uh, murdered for the gospel and all of these yeah. things. But as you mentioned tonight, it's, we have to look at things kind of look way back and look at big, big portions yeah. of history over time. And are we better off than is we the were, gospel, is the gospel you know, better off? And, and has the gospel, what has the gospel done? And Doug, Doug brings that up and talks about the influence over, over periods of time, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, and we can, we have to be so careful to, to not lock ourselves into a mindset of things have never been this bad. You mm -hmm. know, I, I think because 
we're just looking at it from our perspective we're not the first person in history to think that way right yeah i would say it's kind of like the normal view in going through history is the people that are living then are like this is as bad as it's ever been you know kind of thing and you would reference like the the well it was you or or bill with the plague um, yeah yeah, bubonic plague plague. and uh and then you know how it wiped out a third of europe right i mean that's huge you know world war ii um during the reformation like all of these time periods where it was this is this is as bad as it can possibly get yeah and it's like well i mean what happened Mm -hmm. you know but it's also interesting in when you're reading the scriptures there's like kind of two ways that you can view how the world is going to be when jesus comes back i mean in my view it's like you don't know the day or the hour so it's like to be like well the main two views premillennial and postmillennial that we've touched on in this video so far premillennial is like it's gonna get worse and worse and worse and there's gonna be um uh, like the love of many will grow cold like the bible says uh, and stuff like that and we take those bible verses and put them into our day today mm-hmm. when there's a very strong interpretation and possibility that that time period that the bible is talking about was actually for the people who were writing the scriptures in that first century context right. and so the wars <laughs> and rumors of wars it's possible that we're not supposed to be looking at that today and being like oh there's another war so right. it looks like the end's coming it seems like that would have been something very special and unique to that time period that Jesus was saying those things. And then he says, but of that day and hour, nobody right, knows. Right. So don't be looking for it because it's just going to be two people grinding at the mill and two people that are um, just doing normal life. And then a flood takes them away, you know, kind of like the thief in the night kind of thing, um, which is where is that the second coming? Whereas all the other stuff before that about you're going to see this when right. you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you know that its desolation is near, like that Luke says. It's very localized in the context. Sure. If that is not talking about us today, then that leaves a huge like positive um, progress of the gospel that we, we don't have to be looking for all these terrible things. Sure. We can be looking forward to, um, like First Corinthians says, um, all of Jesus' enemies being put under his feet. And then the end will come. So yeah. that's what the post-millennialist says. Is it's not we're waiting for everything to get really, really bad before Jesus comes. That stuff already happened. Now we obviously still do see, and First Corinthians makes this clear, we don't see everything being put under Jesus' feet yet. Yeah. But we will see that. And when we do see that, then, then the end will come. Right. That is such an interesting um, look on it. So there's two different, very different ways of yeah, looking at sure. those passages and scripture. But that's why both views, I think, should get their own level of, um, uh, what's it called? When you're looking into something deeply, you know, scrut- scrutiny. scrutiny. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just see a verse one way and be like, okay, that must be it. We have to be different like yeah. Jamie is. And uh, to the men and women who have held to these views very dearly, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, learn from them and from their way of uh, reading scripture and seeing what we can learn from that, as well as the amillennial view, sure. which is now what Sam is going to yeah, introduce which us is to. So great. So another, that another word that. to add to your yes. Uh, repertoire. Yes, your eschatological yeah. repertoire. Yes. <laughs> Continue. Yeah, good stuff, man. That's All right. Good. Piper's like getting, he's getting tired in that <laughs> position. All right, here we go. Wow. There are so many things that both that they both said that I agree with and many things that I disagree with. Um, first you, of all, you're representing a view that I don't like the label. Um, 
but a millennial because it suggests that I don't believe in a millennium. I believe the millennium is literal, real, vibrant, tangible, but it's in heaven. And I think that what, what Doug described as the intermediate state, where your father is right now, where my father is right now, where Jonathan Edwards is right now, where Augustine is right now, those are the saints described in Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6, who are reigning with Christ in the intermediate state, spanning the duration of the present church age between the two comings of Jesus. That constitutes the millennial reign. So I don't embrace the, the amillennial view, which um, I hear so often expressed, that it's the reign of Christ over the hearts of his people in the church right now. I don't believe that. I think the millennial reign is the reign of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus. He's talking about those in the intermediate state between the two comings of Christ. So, do believe very much in a millennium. In fact, it's interesting. There was no such label as amillennialism really until about the early 20th century. All amillennialists were called postmillennialists. I'm postmillennial in the way that Doug is in the sense that I believe that the return of Christ comes post or after the millennium. His millennium is on the earth. It's the progressive triumph of the church through the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe the millennium is in heaven. It constitutes the reign of Christ with his saints in the intermediate state. So I would agree with Jim that the problem <laughs> that I have with Doug's view this guy. is that when I read like, I had so many questions. 6 and Romans 8 and elsewhere, I believe that that's for you, the, the people of God like on the earth will continue to, to suffer. Yeah. Uh, that that's a Relax, global phenomenon brother. that may be more intense on one side of the earth than the other. We don't suffer here. We can't even, we this shouldn't even allow people to like say that. that when we think of you know, uh, our we throw that term China. around, yeah. suffering. Or in Iran. Yeah. It's like, or really? in Indonesia and other places. I mean, people are suffering. But, but suffering not, will continue. Here, Good and evil will follow parallel paths. There will be the expansion of the uh, kingdom of Satan and his, the intensification of his persecution of the church at the same time that there is an expansion of the gospel and uh, the, the progressive triumph of that Jesus. Today. Yeah. And that these will be good and terminated, evil, both consummated in like the, the second the of kind of thing. Sure. Right. At which time there will be the final judgment, the final resurrection, the inauguration of the eternal state, the new heavens and the new earth. Um, I, as you mentioned in the introduction, both Jim and I graduated from Dallas Seminary. So there was a time when um, I embraced very enthusiastically the view that he articulated. Just keep and mm -hmm. just, you held the Here whole dispensational view, right? So you went from dispensationalist to historic pre-mail. To millennial, and the reason I did, very simply, if I can, he's a, he's a pilgrim. Yep. That's right. I'm a sojourner. And you think he's almost there, don't you? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> just, just well, keep going. And, and the uh, the reason why I moved from premillennialism to amillennialism—that really is it's like the progression. Five minutes. The progression. The progression. Yeah. I kept reading the New Testament, which so seemed consistently yeah. over yes, and over again to teach that physical death terminates with the second coming of Christ. When is, when is, is the death point. of death? When does death die? Mm -hmm. When is it swallowed up in victory? Which Post I would agree, agree with Doug on this see. point. At the second coming of Jesus, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58, it is when the, the Lord returns and we are changed, corruptible to incorruptible, that death, citing the passage from Isaiah, death is swallowed up in victory. I also kept reading the New Testament. It seemed to me, and here's where I differ with Doug, that at the second coming of Christ is the inauguration of the new heavens and the new earth not a thousand years later. 
I also, in reading the New Testament, referring to Romans exactly 8, to. came to understand that the curse is lifted from this present earth, that the, the natural okay. order is redeemed. Real quick. Um, Please. Because I, I, I think Doug referenced the two different viewpoints of the post-millennial. Mm -hmm. One is that there is a, like, Christ is going to come mm -hmm. that after the church has mm -hmm. done its work and and establish and, and kind of culminate the kingdom at that point. Right? Mm -hmm. And then, um, but then there's another viewpoint where there's going to be a literal thousand years after that where he reigns or no? Mm -mm. That would be a thousand years before. It's, or else it would be pre-mill. <laughs> so it's still, he would just say, right, right, so right, that's right. why Doug was saying, you know, it's possible that he, that he would believe that a post-millennialist can believe that we're not in the millennium yet. Gotcha. Right. It's okay. That it's, that's right. Right. And then there's like the golden age where it's like that's the thousand years. Usually right. they say it's like a literal thousand years of peace, and then Jesus comes back right. after that. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's the view. I I yeah. don't think I'm very um, familiar yeah, with. Yeah. I'm not. I'm, but I don't yeah. think I'm very comfortable with saying that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Cool. And enters into the fullness of of its uh, regeneration simultaneously with that which occurs. To the children of God, they are they are correlated, as as Doug said, and so that the curse is completely lifted from the natural order at the same time it is lifted from us, and therefore I don't see how you can have a thousand years after that in which unbelievers yeah. and eventually even Satan himself wreak havoc upon this earth, because mm. that would say the curse perpetuates beyond the second advent. So you're saying That's a great point. that all these other texts in the New Testament control and determine your reading of Revelation 20. Largely, not, no, no, let me finish. not not entirely, but largely. You're right. I'm sitting here at, at one, one time, time but, but let me just me. make it clear because we'll come to this. I'm not an amillennialist in spite of Revelation 20. I'm an amillennialist precisely because of it. Okay. I think it is enthusiastically clear on amillennialism. <laughs> but let me. Let I me, can't no, wait me, to talk about that. Passage. Okay, yeah, <laughs> let me finish my point. We can tell. I also believe, as I read the New Testament, that the second coming of Christ terminates all possibility yeah. of getting saved. So th all of these points was some of the most persuasive for me, um, because what, he, what he's saying is all throughout the New Testament, if you don't look at Revelation, everything else in the New Testament is New Testament is really explicit on what happens after the second coming of Christ, that um, it's that's the last trumpet. That's when the dead right. are raised. That's right. the resurrection happens. All of those things. There's a new heavens and new earth, like Second Peter talks about, which he's getting getting to now. All of these other passages that doesn't talk about a millennium afterwards, right. like at all, is in the New Testament. I don't know if there's any other passage that even a premillennialist would say that there's a spot in the New Testament that talks about the millennium after Jesus comes back, besides Revelation. So then what the premillennial Jim is saying is, so you're saying that all of your view of the rest of the New Testament controls how you're reading Revelation. And it kind of is, in a sense, because first off, we know Scripture doesn't contradict itself. Right. So it can't be saying two different things. Right. And uh, Revelation is notoriously harder to understand than uh, the rest of the New Testament. Sure. And that's what Doug is going to bring up as well, too. Right. So I think that's just something to be like on the lookout for. For the premillennialist, you're going to Revelation and pretty much reading it you know, seemingly as straightforward as you can and then saying, well, you're going to see this, then you're going to see this, yeah. then you're going to see this Almost using Revelation to determine how you read the other passages right. throughout the New Testament. Right. Rather mm -hmm. than the clear passages 
being read and then building off of right. that. Yeah. Because to me, when I read the rest of the New Testament, like the passages Sam is bringing up now, which you would be very wise to um, to take to heart exactly the passages he's saying, because they, they speak directly about the second coming and what happens at that time. And also what Doug talks about is um, Revelation, like I'm not settled on Revelation. Oh, sure. And I don't know if you are, I don't know if you are doing it correctly because it's a completely different genre than the rest of the new testament and that any genre that we would ever read it'd be like reading um like edgar Allan poe but putting it into a style that is like a historical narrative right but it's like edgar Allan poe doesn't write history he writes fictional things so it's different genres and that's not the way that we are to read scripture just all the same way. Right. There's different genres that would have been known at the time that if we don't know them today and just import that into, well, we must, it must be looking towards our future and this must be this, you know, making connections in Revelation. Um, I don't know if that's the clearest way to read Revelation, sure. um, but I would say that I understand way more what the rest of the New Testament is saying about the second coming of Christ and what that is going to do. Um, and even though there might be some leeway also in the rest of the New Testament because it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> so it's hard sure. to, to be definitive on that. Uh, but like some people say with prophecies, um, once, you, once you're in it, you'll know. And you can't know unless you, you're in right. it, you know, right. stuff like that. So, so it's just, um, you know, I think important for us to understand how we are to read Scripture. Yeah, another good her- hermeneutical principle being that um, we have to... We, like a lot of people will say, well, I want to take it as literally as, po- as I possibly can. Yeah. But I, I feel like that, that term literally has to be defined because if I'm reading the Song of Solomon and reading it, we'll say literal in the sense that what the words that are being used, like if I, if I, if I hold to what, how the, what words are being used, and and see that as well that's really what's happening kind of thing yeah i'm missing the whole point of what that book is saying because it's it's poetic and it's the same thing with apocalyptic you know language we 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 can't look at those things and say i'm reading it literally Mm -hmm. because really a literal reading of it would be reading it in the genre that it is written in Mm -hmm. and and understanding it that way Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. like we have to be so careful with that because we want to understand scripture as clearly as possible. Yeah. But reading reading different genres of writing the same exact way will only confuse us because it's yeah. not how it's written. No. You know, and it, and we're not and doing it's, it's, it the way. That and we all believe that scripture is meant to be understood. Right. So when they are writing scripture, they're not writing it to confuse us. Like Revelation is written to actually sure. reveal. It's a, it's a reveal. Right, yeah. not a concealing. Yeah. Um, that does not mean, however, that we should just read it in our modern context. That's not the way that sure. uh, that anybody yeah. there would have read Revelation. Sure. I mean, maybe they would have if it was written for their time period. Well, well it's clear then it's but. talking about, you know, nuclear holocaust. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Just know to all of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yes. So, I don't get an amen. I mean, I think that's the most important thing for our discussion of this. Yeah. Is 
understanding how to read scripture not saying well this makes like believe this or like this makes the most sense or whatever um come to whatever conclusions you want but do it accurately in the way that scripture is meant to be understood sure. and not just because maybe it's a view you haven't heard before or it sounds weird or it just doesn't make sense right. well un- study it until it makes sense in the way that scripture was meant to be understood right. in its historical grammatical right. context and, and the better you understand the, the clear passages the the easier it becomes to see how the unclear passages may mm-hmm. may fit into mm-hmm. that um or maybe you have to be more ambiguous to the not clear passages because you have to hold tight to the sure, stuff you know. Sure. Yeah. Hold to what you know. You know. Exactly. Yeah. You want that core, that foundation yeah. to be solid. Like Paul says, yeah. he's like, some people are spreading like a heresy that Jesus has already come back before. Right. Yeah. And people have been, it's like, so Paul's like, no, no, that we know doesn't, that hasn't happened yet right. because we're still in our natural bodies. We haven't been resurrected. Right. So we know that. Now, all this other stuff about whatever, like, we might not know all of the details about that, but some things we have to hold tooth and nail as this, the, the yeah. things that are foundational sure. to the faith. Absolutely. Um, that, we, that doesn't mean that we're not as, um, uh, like, smart or, like, oh, we're giving ground to progressivism or something. Right. It's just understanding language and realizing that we, we can only know how much that we can know yeah. and not to make speculations further than what is given us in sure. the text itself. Sure, speculations. Yeah. yeah. I do hear some speculative yeah, from time to time. things every once in a while. Hit it. It's this age in which salvation is possible. But as Jim said, there are going to be countless, who knows, thousands, if not millions, coming to faith in Christ after the second coming. I don't see that in the New Testament. Furthermore, it seems to me, I, and I agree with Doug on this, that at the second coming of Christ is the final resurrection for both the good and the evil. At the second coming of Christ is the final judgment for both good and evil. Um, And so I kept seeing the New Testament say that at the second coming of Jesus, all these things terminate, consummate, conclude, which would preclude the thousand-year reign that I formerly believed, which says physical death continues, resurrections continue, judgments are continuing and are separated and maybe even occur multiple times throughout the whole thousand years. People keep coming to faith in Christ. The text that I read in the New Testament simply would not allow that to happen. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Okay, at the end of the Gospels, how does Judas die? Oh, this guy. How does he... How does he perish? At the end? How does his physical body die? At the end it's of just the a bad question. I Is this a trick question? No, it's not. I just want you to tell me the answer. <laughs> Sounds tricky to me. Yeah. <laughs> but I. I want to know. know. Well, you know, you know, like when Acts where he fell. No, no, no. I'm asking about the, the most Gospels. Most ugly, cute guy I've ever seen in the Gospels. He hung himself, right? Well, we're does talking about two guys. Now. What we never stopped. <laughs> we never were. Because that's the way you're arguing. No, it's not. He yes, was it is. dead when he hung himself. <laughs> he died. He didn't die again in Acts. But all Acts tells us is that he fell headlong and his insides bust out. Right. So, and so he hangs himself. But the way you're arguing, evidently, then you're harmonizing. Yeah. You're oh, harmonizing. That's terrible to harmonize. Sure. Why can't we harmonize what Revelation I love says? With what all these other texts say about yeah. when because death these ends texts don't and look, when the resurrection these texts happens. Don't if that's death dies no. at the second coming well, of Christ. Well, then why can't we say the Gospels don't allow the fact that he fell headlong and his insides burst But he out. only died once. He only died once. He didn't die at the end of the Gospels. In other words, this harmonization makes sense. Do you believe right. he died twice? No, no, no. <laughs> I love saying, it. 
We're so harmonizing he died twice. the two passages. <laughs> we're harmonizing the death of Judas from what, what the Gospels tell us and what Acts tells us. And yes, I'm saying that's what that we, we can do the same thing. See, you, it seems to me that your main argument against premillennialism is the rest of the New Testament precludes that interpretation. Absolutely. And I'm arguing that... That is a pretty good point. That, that is, is a point. That's your problem, not the Bible's problem. The, all I know the Bible is, gives us this information. All I know is, it's is, our is responsibility to put it together. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 and following, we shall not all sleep, we shall be changed. Well, he's not the not putting it together. The last trumpet. Mm -hmm. The last trumpet. So trumpet putting that sound, together dead will be raised in is our responsibility. It's not the Bible's problem. But it would make the Bible, the Bible lying. It would make the Bible Wait, wrong. Inconsistent. Yeah. Earlier, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says very clearly that... Wait a second. That... That the, talking about the you resurrection, then comes the end when he delivers just the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be death. destroyed is death. You're now, let me just finish. And then in that same chapter, he then tells us when death dies, when that last enemy is put to rest. And incites the, the prophecy from Isaiah, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It happens at the second coming. But so my point is, how then that can is an millions of people continue yeah. to die physically after the second so coming? That's a really good point. Mm -hmm. that what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 is exhaustive. In other words, that about the, nothing about the else termination to know. Of I like what death, death. Well, it's, it's exhaustive. Yes. It's exhaustive on enemies. Mm-hmm. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And, and I think that I want to respond to you the same way. But how can people die that, if there's no more death? I suspect mm -hmm. maybe Simeon, you know, when he talks about the sword that's going to pierce Mary's soul, might have responded to some triumphant messianic conquering king, person, interpreter. You know, person. Simeon, I think, would probably say, don't you think it's possible that the Messiah might have to suffer? And, and, and that's a bad that yeah. Yeah. Well, say, he's saying no, there's harmon harmonization in the Bible. Yeah. And Sam's like, yep, I know, but there's also bad harmonizing. That, that doesn't work. And, and I, I think, think it's possible it's that God thing. can weave these things together. So the question is, well, what does Revelation 20 teach? But Jim, you have to, you'd have to come up with, with the Simeon thing. You, the, pers the discussion would say, all right, you've got these triumphant Messiah, and then you've got the suffering servant. You've got a, a bunch of texts mm -hmm. that would re, that would require, require the harmonization. The harmonization. Yeah. In, in the situation here, what you would need is texts that talk about enemies to be subdued after the last enemy mm -hmm. is subdued. And I, that's, I, that's the that's difficulty. So there's harmonization and there's, so in the Acts case, I think all of us who've gone through the synoptics know what harmonization looks like. They're all there's pastors, yeah. I think we've all seen uh, well-meaning Christians harmonizing away and there was too much there to harmonize. Mm -hmm. Again, I say the question is what does Revelation 20 teach? And if it teaches that there's, that there's a millennium, it's our responsibility to put it together with, with the rest of the Bible. If that was Not true, say, then he would have a point. Revelation yeah. 20 can't be teaching that. And, and then say, to look for another way to read it. And I would say it. if Revelation 20 teaches oh a, a premillennial view yeah. as you articulate it, I have to abandon biblical inerrancy. No, no, no. <laughs> no, there's no, no. Yes, I do. Wait, well, no. good grief, Sam. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> well, no, yes, I do. Because it went from like a wholesome discussion to like, I'm giving up on the Bible. And Sam's like, <laughs> yes. First Corinthians 15. You just need to go reread that passage and be a little bit more creative, more creative in your interpretation. Uh, Isn't that a good way of interpreting uh, the Bible? <laughs> 
interpretation of verses 50 no to, to 58 all of, no all of that. that would make room for the millennium. I think you're absolutizing the death of death there when you don't need No, you do it. have if, to. If you're required to let millennium happen, you'd read that text and you say, it's not absolutized. My death is overcome. The decisive blow is struck, but it's loose. It's, it's open to expansion. It's kind of the way that Doug uh, views Revelation. There, it's if like you don't have to take it that sure. as, you know, that. Yeah, I understand his point. Yeah. But that's, but see, that's, that's, yeah. it's just a clearer passage. Yeah, it's just a clearer passage than the Revelation passage. One, that it is at that time that the lost are cast into eternal destruction, not right. a thousand and years later. the Old later. Testament prophets make it sound like when the Messiah comes, this is it. <laughs> the new age is going to dawn. The desert's going to bloom, the spirit's going to be poured out on high, from on high, and, and we believe it that did. what's happened <laughs> 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 That's the whole point. We believe that what's happened is Jesus came. I love how Jim's, he's looking for help from them, and right? And we believe, and Doug's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> he's like, even on that point, we're wrong. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding his in his hand the key to the bottomless pit. Revelation chapter 20. They're reacting to the Bible, and, and we're reacting to their reactions of the Bible. <laughs> and you guys are reacting to our reactions of them reacting to the Bible. It's a lot of reactions. <laughs> Equal and opposite. I feel like I'm in a chemist's uh, Equal and opposite reaction. That's right. Let's say the angel is symbolic. Let's say the shaft is symbolic. Let's say the key is symbolic. In Revelation Symbolism 9, for everybody. they open the bottomless pit, and all these demonic Cave beings crickets. come rushing out. Mm -hmm. The opposite of that is about to happen in Revelation 20. Right. Okay, so let's interpret the symbols in relationship to each other. Amen. Um, so this guy, in other words, in it Revelation means something. 20, verse 1 has the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. Note the key. I, I would argue that those 42-month periods interpret the whole time between uh, the two advents of Christ. <laughs> that's now that's we've literal. Got a different you could. Time. I agree with you. Yeah, and we've got a different period of time, a thousand years, that's describing right. something different than it's that symbolic. 42 it's just different. Yeah, it's, a it's, a di different it's symbolizing number. something different, is what I'm saying. Yeah. I think it's symbolizing the same period. Well, we would have to, we'd have to flesh out the details. Because yeah. okay. the time okay, indicators so are very important. He him into the pit in verse 3, and he shut it, and he sealed it. And let me just observe, there's a key, there's a chain, he seizes the dragon, he binds him, he throws him in the pit, he shuts... I just want to observe that, like, we're already disagreeing on numbers and on symbols and everything already. So to say, like, yeah, this is clear, you're right. it's like, well, you're already... I'll have three different views on that, yeah. just on just yeah, on exactly. what... Is 42 months a literal 42 months? Because now Doug, the post-millennialist, says it's a literal 42 months, while Sam and Jim say 42 months means the whole church age, like yeah. the whole 2,000 years. And there's other premillennials that, you know, believe that differently. So that's why, like, to me, it's like, this is definitely not as clear of a passage Absolutely. as the other texts in the New Testament are. So yep. it's just an interesting, like, way of looking at Scripture. Illustration of the hermeneutical principle that I wanted to start with, you interpret the unclear passage in the light of the clear one. All right, so... Matthew 20, 28, Jesus came. And Doug's like, let's get out of Revelation as fast as humanly possible. In heaven and on earth, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them well, in I the name like of the Father and Jim. the Son and the Holy, Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And well, looking at the Bible. No, he just he cuts him off. Second, yeah. Second Corinthians yeah. 4, this is 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ and so forth. First Peter 5, God of the, God Satan of this, is prowling around God of this like age. a roaring this lion seeking whom he may devour. He, he thinks that 
freedom of the devil stopped at 70 AD. God of this age. Oh my. So Jesus yeah. said. No, I'd agree that, with you. See, I would agree with you on that, Jim. I, yeah. I, and now I they're all mixed up. They're shifting First John five. That's right. Nine. Nine. Jim, well, I didn't, where was he going? I'm, finish, I, finish, finish. So, so are you saying, Jim, that he, no unbeliever can come to faith in Christ? No. First, yeah, okay, let's get you on I've lost control. Here's Matthew 28. What was the point? The point in Matthew. You're saying nobody's coming to faith in Christ today? What's unclear about it? He says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. It's all mine. Okay? And uh, he says, on that basis, go, disciple the nations, baptizing them, teaching them obedience. Th this is a clear passage. It's not clear about the implications of how free the devil is. Well, it's clear about what we're told to do. Yeah. All right? Okay. We're told to disciple the nations, baptize them, and teach them obedience. Right. Because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And there's, there's no... Um, symbolic numerology here. Okay. There's no there's there's no dragons or women or 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 or, or, tr or trumpets or or rivers of blood or. Uh, and so the point with regard the, to the, 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 classic, the, the point is line. that when so I read point, Matthew 28 and I get the church's marching orders, this is a clear passage. We're told what to do. Yeah. We're told to evangelize the world. We're told to disciple the nations. And Jesus said, "All authority in heaven and earth." That's the basis for it. Now, in Revel and this drives how we are to read Revelation. So when we get to Revelation, the 20th, and, 20th, and we're 20th. told uh, that the time is short, the oh, time is on. near, this is all, this is coming at you like a freight train, it's almost on top of us. And then in the very beginning of the book, he says, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever, in 1, 6. And then in 5, it says, uh, Which lines five, up says, with and has Peter? Made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth okay this is not a heavenly reign this is we shall reign on the earth now when I go through the book of Revelation one of the things I try to do and this is sort of just like a, a principled ambiguity earlier a principled not agnosticism I, I but I want to read through the book of Revelation sitting loose to the details is that the book of Revelation is not as clear as the book of Romans. The book of Revelation is not as clear as the book of Galatians. Mm -hmm. We have, so what do we hold? It, what, mm -hmm. what should be the governing principle? Jim, Jim doesn't like that. I think our but you do have to leave, to leave room for that. World, yep. To preach the gospel to every creature, to exercise I think it's an honest, an honest way of looking at yeah. scripture. Just because of the genre. Yeah. And because of his talking about future saying, things. Okay, yeah. Now I come to the book of Revelation. And when two, it was written, two, two reasons it's not as clear. Right. Chapters. And it sounds like you don't want to try to interpret it. No, I'm, I want to oh, try to interpret it, but I want to do it in a post-millennial setting where we have lots of time. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. We've been working on it for 2,000 years. <laughs> yep. So in verses 1 through 3 of Revelation 20, it looks to me like Satan's activity is totally shut down. No, no longer no. is the Just world, 1 John 5, 19, under the power of the evil one. Now the evil one is in the pit, and the pit is shut, and it's sealed. And then yeah, I would just say with that regard to like the binding of Satan, I think it can totally make sense when you realize that John is saying he's bound not just in general like he can't do anything anymore but he's bound for a specific reason right and he can't deceive the nations anymore and i think that that makes a lot of sense when you talk about the spread of the gospel as opposed to it being just in that one that that's what doug was getting to with the great commission 
is instead of the gospel being, you know, when Jesus first comes on the scene and he's like, I'm sent only to the house of Israel. Right. Right. But then later on, we know that he, he says, if I'm lifted up, then I'll draw all men to myself. So now it's not just for Israel. Right. But it's for the world. That's why he says, I have all authority now. So something changed when, when Jesus died and yeah. rose again. Yeah. So he said, now I have all authority. So now go and get the nations because Satan is bound from deceiving the nations any longer. You know, like the prophecy, it says the nations that were in darkness have been given a great light, which that's what Jesus does. Like the nations have been in darkness for all these years. But we know that the um, the promise to Abraham was descendants as numerous as the stars from all nations. Yeah. Like we we're reading tonight in Galatians, yeah. in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, right. not just Israel. And so I think that's that definitely could be what it means by Satan being bound is that he's bound in that now the gospel has been spread everywhere. And that's why, I think that's why John says that he's bound to deceiving the nations, mm -hmm. not bound fully, <clears throat> right? you know. So I think that could be a good point. Right. So the beast has done something that looks like what God has done, and, all the, and the whole world worships it except for Revelation 13, 8, those whose names are written in the book of life. He knows the uh, word, so though. Forth. Oh, who do you absolutely. believe the beheaded are? The beheaded are those who didn't worship the beast, or its image yeah, yeah, yeah. But where, where, where do you and, place them in history? Uh, mm -hmm. All I would say all uh, faithful believers throughout church history. Okay, even though the beast is not throughout all church history. No, I, no, the beast has authority for forty-two months. I, I can't, I can't get over that. <laughs> it's like, wait, the beast isn't for all of church history. No, the beast has authority for forty-two months. Yeah, but all of church history, though. It's not all of church history. <laughs> that's why he has to interpret forty-two months as being the whole church age, right. which is like. All right, I guess if you want to go there. He's using the unclear passages to to right. determine how he right. reads the clear ones. That's why D Doug is, is like, I love one thing that, that Doug says in some of his other podcasts. Is he like, if, I, if I'm saying that Revelation was meant to be for the people that it, that it was written to in like 70 AD, I can't change what happened in history. All right. I can say is this is what happened in history. If you have it for the future... Like he says, you can, you, you, can make, you can make the future stand on its hind legs and roll over <laughs> if you want, because it's malleable, because right. you can just say, well, no, because we're waiting for this. Right. It's much harder to be like, hey, this happened. And it's like, okay, well, let's go and look at it and see like sure. where it all lines up and stuff. But I think you can do that for most of the prophecies that have been fulfilled, because you can look at it and be like, oh, but what about, you know, this little thing, you know, yeah. kind of a thing. Um, and that's not necessarily how we're to, we are to view it. Um, to view prophecies it's like a whole study in and of itself how to view prophecy sure. but like the new testament when they go back <clears throat> to the old testament say in um the the potter's field in zechariah that it says like they paid for it with how many pieces of silver right it's like we're not supposed to take like that whole chapter as like oh everything must like a, where's the potter in the new testament with sure. judas where's the no they take the specific things that and so it's hard for us to be like well this was a prophecy of that you know and stuff like that um, but it's just, uh, it's just an interesting point when you're looking at, well, no, nothing has happened and it's all in the future. Yeah. It's like, well, you're kind of only saying that just because you haven't seen like a beast in with, however you're interpreting the, the, um, yeah. revelation, you know, but, um, but if they are symbols and it's like, well, six, 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 like that's Nero, that's the number of Nero. It all adds up to Nero Caesar. And then you have the, um, uh, the 42 months like these are literal 42 months yeah so it's kind of hard to not put it into that first century context when there's at least many 
things that literally sure, that w- happened. Did happen. <laughs> yeah, yep, that that meat that fit that. Um, what I what I struggle with a lot with what Jim is saying is that as I listen to how he's how how he's rationalizing through Revelation, it he is you know like I said before the the speculation. But the speculation isn't grounded in scripture. Mm. It's grounded in, I think this means this. Mm-hmm. And there's there's no, like, it, it's so ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And I, and because it's all, like you're saying, all up, a, up in the future. Yeah. And so, so you can make it malleable and just fit everything else in it. And that, that I think is a, I think it's a, I think it's a unwise way of looking through the scripture for sure, and they've touched on it already, and so I figure. I'd just yeah. Say well, I think again. the the one thing that um, as I've been thinking about this, talking with it with my brothers and others about um, how to understand all of these things, this is pretty new for me still. You know, in the past couple of years is really when I got into it at all. Um, but one thing that has that you can kind of make more sure rather than all these other details is the time indicators mm-hmm. yeah that and really so, is important and i think the <clears throat> the best point for doug for the post-millennialist that revelation would have been written for the people there and not necessarily for our future though there can be some you know i'm sure there are some instances to the end of time still but in in large in general um the majority of revelation was written as a judgment on israel uh, in the first century i think the best argument for that is that he says in the book of revelation don't seal up the words of this prophecy right. because the time, the time is here. Is near. Yeah. And then, but he says in the book of Daniel, he says, seal up the words of this prophecy because the time is not yet. And we know that the prophecies of Daniel, years. right, yeah. which was, that's another prophecy that it's hard to say, like it was exactly like every single thing we can see how it exactly was fulfilled. But like 95% of it, we oh, can be so like, good, yeah. like how accurate that prophecy was that modern scholars say it had to have been written after the events because it was so accurate and there's no way somebody could actually prophesy that so like that's how clear the prophecies are going to be but in revelation it's saying um the time is here and that's why it says um don't steal up the words of this prophecy that the time is now um and so like doug says it's coming at you like a freight train it's right on top of you and if john wrote it before 70 AD that would make a ton of sense it would be like two or three years in the future Um, which is why he's saying this calls for patient endurance Mm -hmm. to the saints and he's writing to the people like to literal churches Pergamum and you know Sardis that the book of Revelation was going to be passed to those churches because they were going to go undergo the great tribulation um, in in that sense and yes we will have tribulation of course after that but the great tribulation uh, it seems like a good argument could be made that that was for yes. the 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 people in that first century because the time is near. Yeah, it's not somewhere two you know over two thousand years in the future. Sure. So those time indicators, like if you hold tight to them, they could clear up some of the ambiguity, in my opinion. Yeah, it can definitely help. And before that, the first, uh, well, depending on how you interpret those forty-two months, I would suggest that either those forty-two months are the second half of Daniel's 70th week, or maybe uh, the whole of Christian church history. I, I agree with that. No to all of that. 
Come on now. The souls of those who it, it couldn't be actual 42 months. Though. Earlier in chapter 6, <laughs> I looked under the altar to the, right. and saw the souls yeah, of those who had been slain for the word of God for the witness they had borne. So the only thing it can't be is what it says. <laughs> so, that's very literal like, reading. Hey, no, 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 no. There's two resurrections, one on each side of the thousand years, and then at the end of verse 5 there, this is the first resurrection. N.T. Wright... Uh, whom ah. you love. N.T. <laughs> uh, Wright looks at all of the, the uses of like uh, anastasis and related and terms. He's got some interesting perspectives. He says that for this to mean something other than bodily life after life after death, your intermediate state. What do you think about bodily life after life after death? The crazy thing is that it, that's the accurate part. Because that's what we'll have. Yeah. We'll have life yeah. after life yeah. after and, death. And, and then he says, lest we be projected yeah. the into premillennial literalism, which I think he's just saying, I don't want to be a premillennialist. What we have here <laughs> is essentially a radical innovation in the use of resurrection language. Well, and I think back, he's doing a violence to, but let's back up to verse, we have much to more back clear. up to verse 4. If I could come if galloping we, in with some We just start changing the, um, the way that the language is. <laughs> that's my job as a post-millennialist. Um, the, the beast, these people who are beheaded in verse 4 are beheaded by the beast. The, the beast is a seven-headed um, beast. Uh, beast. The seven heads are seven hills. All right, the seven heads are also yep. seven kings. Yep. Five, so, yep. five were. Yep. All right, so this, the, beast that, the head of the beast that's reigning that this is talking about is Nero. Right. You well, start with Julius Augustus. Yes, you, I you, would argue let that this is finish. a technological use of the world Doug power is very different. at the time. Yes. And that, that it's going to be that become. way. That pattern is going to follow all through church history. Now, I, I agree that the pattern follows all through church history. But it happens that Nero persecuted the church from A.D. 64 to A.D. 68. But your view For, demands he, that this book be written before A.D. 70, what, which what, is a very difficult case it's to not make very difficult, well, the actually. external evidence. It's easier than you think, but yeah. the point is that <laughs> if you want to believe that, it's easy. <laughs> but we don't have time for it. Yeah. The, the, point, the point is that Nero... I'm becoming more and more convinced the, on that. The right Me too. On the number of heads of the beast. There, there really the isn't that much that, that builds that. Not from scripture, at least. So you'd have to be going off of, well, it, you know, yeah, tradition. Yeah, not from scripture at all. Yeah, if anything. It's a system. You're having to press ex the, the literal exterior sources. Extent, yeah. The beast or the and now let me explain why I think that's wrong. Oof. My understanding, you, you use the word with respect to Satan's incarceration in the abyss, totally. You're universalizing what John explicitly restricts. Mm. He says that with regard to Satan's capacity during the thousand years to deceive the nations. This is where Jim is not is very totally different. Restrained. Mm. And I agree He's with a different that. kind of different. Oh, this is where? But with regard to all of this <laughs> we finally other found it. Revelation 13, 7, it was allowed yeah, to make more on the saints and... To conquer them, okay. and authority okay. was given it over okay. every tribe. This is why people don't like talking theology. But you don't believe that. Well, this is a good example of arguing to be right rather than arguing for the truth. Mm -hmm. Because they're both arguing to be right, which is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Because it's, well, you Sam, need to see my point. I think Sam is, you. Sam is just, he gave him 10 minutes. He, he's definitely not, you know, not as... As yeah, yeah. Um, pugilistic as as Jim, but 
but neither it, but of them it, are being very different. But it's yeah, and and if you're looking for truth, you can hear someone else's point. Yeah. And be okay without with, feeling yeah. like I have to. Yeah, I have to jump in yeah. and, and shut you down. And, yeah. And uh, and do the things like so you believe that uh, you know that nope. Judas died twice. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. You know that's not true. Yeah. Like that's you know it, it, it's I think it, we have to be careful with yeah, that yeah. Of arguing. That's yeah. So you believe nobody's coming to Christ in the present time? <laughs> yes, <laughs> you finally figured out. Thank you for telling me right. what, what I believe. Right. It's a, it's a, it becomes a dishonest it way of it's not, arguing. It's unhelpful. Yeah. Yeah. 42 months, yeah, Satan has authority finish. over the nations. Let me, finish. let me finish. You don't believe that means that Satan can prevent the gospel from going to the nations and bringing conversions. Right, but I believe that then Revelation we 21 through 3 is describing something different but than the gospel going to the nations. Well, then we'd have to go back into Acts 26. We'd go back into Colossians 2. We could go back into other texts. But, but in the, Jim, in let the me finish. of this book. Let me finish, please. Let me finish. Let me finish. Thank you. Order, order. <laughs> Yeah, where's Piper? Yeah, that's precisely Mr. Moderator. What, what Jesus told, what Paul testified when he said that Christ has commissioned me to turn the nations from the darkness of Satan to the light of God's right. kingdom. See, During Satan the can't. Time of this present inter Right, age, right. That's a good Satan point. Cannot prevent the what verse was that? From of God, as I said, Acts twenty-six. them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. It's also interesting power of Satan to God. That's like the binding Jesus of Satan. They may receive forgiveness. So the, and that's now. Mm -hmm. That's why Stan was bringing up. Nobody's coming to, to faith in Christ now? Right. Because in order for people to come to faith in Christ now, Satan has to be bound in that he cannot continue to blind their eyes, right. at least in the case of the people who believe. Why do you premillennialists conveniently ignore the word thrones? Which I don't like that language either. You conveniently, as if like they're purposefully. Every single time without exception, thrones are heavenly. They are never on the earth. That's also the case with every single use of thrones outside the book of Revelation. Then finally, on the issue of the first resurrection. Sorry, he's just making the point that the amillennialism, the millennium is in heaven. Because right. it says, I saw thrones and on them were seated. Yeah. And so the thrones, everywhere else in Revelation has been talking about heaven in heaven. So it would make sense that the millennium then is in heaven because it's using the word thrones again. So sure. if you have thrones, well, no, it's thrones. They're reigning on the earth with Christ in the millennium. That's we're waiting for still. Well, it's like, well, then that's the only time in Revelation that the word thrones is used about the earth right. and not about heaven. So it's kind of like at least equal in importance to the only time the resurrection is used for meaning not bodily resurrection. So I think Sam's just trying to push back on that yeah, sure. point about resurrection. Yep. Yeah. I admit, I, I concede the Eugene, Wright was obviously, I mean, it's easy to prove. N.T. Wright was correct. Anastasis used, is, refers he didn't to want to say N.T. Wright is right. Outside the book of Revelation. This is its only occurrence inside the book of Revelation. But notice if you would, this is the only place in the entire New Testament where it's called the first resurrection. And, it's and we have here, in Revelation 20 and 21, we have descriptions of what is first and old, pertaining to the present transient order of things. And then we also have reference, especially when we come to chapter 21, to that which is second and new, you know. which is a reference to the eternal, permanent, consummate state of things. So I think it's clear as you read the sequentially through this chap <laughs> this passage. It's obvious. He's not describing it, a resurrection that is then followed by the same kind of resurrection, a first and a second. 
he's contrasting the resurrections in the same way that he contrasts the first with the new and the old. He is trying to keep it consistent, yeah. though. No, so. And so the point is, that. there yeah, is a first resurrection that is a coming to life in the intermediate state. It's called first, the only place where it is, indicating we're dealing with something very unique here. The millennial reign transpires throughout the whole course of this present age. The saints are reigning with Christ in the intermediate state. He identifies them who they are. At the second coming of Christ, the rest of the dead are raised. That's a physical resurrection of unbelievers at which time they are judged and cast into the lake of fire, as Matthew indicates, as Revelation indicates as well. Can I reply? Sure. Okay. Your view demands. That was very different. What's that happening was in Revelation 13, 5 through 8 is precisely That's that the different for him also. And That's some different verse difference. seven of Revelation thirteen says, yeah, "I'm indifferent to the his different difference of the beast over every tribe and people and language and nation." So your view demands. With regard to what? Define that. They're worshiping the beast. They're they're worshiping so because no, of this so fake crucifixion coming to and faith in Christ. Again, yeah. I can't believe how much he's I'm harping saying, on. Well, then, harping on. The, no, okay. I'm saying that uh, what Revelation twenty one through three says isn't happening is happening in Revelation thirteen five through seven. He is deceiving the nations. That, that's, that's one thing I want to say. And then I want to respond to something that Doug said earlier oh, and that you kind of go. hinted at or are hinting at when you talk about this one passage and, and this one reference to the thousand years. And I just want to ask some questions. Don't so how many texts question. in the Old Testament explicitly name the new covenant? There's one, Jeremiah 31. He gives them half a second to answer the question. I just want to ask some questions that I'm going to answer. explicitly refer to the future royal ruler as a Messiah. There's one. Even less time. A split second. How many texts in the Old Testament say that the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the There's one. Let me get, I'm just going to say that. I think I would want to ask Doug, how many texts in the whole Bible say we should baptize babies? I like that. That's a good line. I'll give him communion. <laughs> don't, don't, don't respond to that. Yeah. So, Does so everyone see my restraint. So I don't. I don't. We know. We, he's the, the man of lawlessness. We know what was restraining him. Oh, yeah. for us. oh, I don't have it. I have. I agree. Totally I'm happy with, with everything you just said. The fact that this is one passage that talks about them, I'm happy with it. I think it's talking about the intermediate state, so I have no problem in saying there's one passage right, right. that's describing a thousand years. Not a good argument. I, I believe that. But what, what, it's about here, what the truth of the passage is. I, it's I not that there's only one. Sure. You say that here in uh, beginning in Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3, at the second coming of Christ, after Christ has returned, the devil um, can no longer deceive the nations, and he's in the abyss, so that won't happen. I just want to know where the heck these nations came from. Because according to your reading of Revelation 19, the flesh of kings, captains, mighty men, horses, riders, flesh of all men, both Every. free and slaves, small and great, are consumed. And they are thrown, uh, the, the beast of false pride are thrown in the lake of fire. And the rest, the rest of who? Jim knows the rest this of is the a nations point who were gathered in, his... in this battle were slain mm -hmm. by the sword. The nations that you say Satan is now having to be incarcerated so that he can't deceive, have all been killed at the time of the second coming of Christ. There are no nations left that he can deceive. And I would say, evidently, it's not comprehensive. And, and I would also <laughs> say, why not just take the, the plain, literal meaning I would, I would and say... That's the point. Yep. It's not a literal reading of it. 
Yeah. Because what we have in Revelation 19 and 20 are parallel accounts of the same span of time, namely the church age or the millennial kingdom. That is an interesting view. And the fact of the matter is, you'll notice in the Revelation, Revelation 19 20, and 20 are actually describing the same the time period. That's interesting. Sulfur, where literally, I could see it. Says, it and literally, where also the beast and the false prophet. The way Revelation tends to mm -hmm. be. Nothing. Repeating. And yeah, it repeats itself. It makes far better sense. To supply not where the beast and the false prophet are, but where the beast and the false prophet were thrown, directly taken from Revelation chapter 19, uh, verse You're making 20. my case. You're so making the, my case. No, the point is, Revelation 19 describes the, the end of human history, what's called the Battle of Armageddon, the beast and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 20 recapitulates to describe the whole present pastor. Again, the consolation oh, of which is Satan is now thrown into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet also were thrown. And I think that takes different symbols and flattens them out so that they it all have flatten the same them out. Meaning. It's recapitulating parallelism <laughs> and the he ellipsis here that does not supply a verb. I thought he was preparing how to do an apple turnover. It's he one is, other uh, thing on this, and this is from within the text that you went through. When you're done, let's do an interpretive dance. To what you're saying. Um, in, in Scriptural interpretive. He's doing interpretive. The, the difficulty that I have with what you're saying is that you have a very specific binding of Satan. I can totally see Doug doing that. Thousand years. John has that. But the, the historical period, the historicity of it is being affirmed at a very specific point in time. But then, yeah, it's specific when you want it to be, but not the 42 months, not the beast. You appeal to a gen generic martyrs, <clears throat> martyred by a generic beast throughout well, all history. Well, we read about right, in Revelation 13. Because, again, the future is the, malleable. Well, the, the, mm -hmm. the beast that we have in Revelation, this goes back to what I said at the beginning of the book. These things are soon to happen. It's right on top of you. It's at the door. Um, Daniel is told... Um, Daniel is told, for example, to seal up the words of the prophecy because the time is not yet. And the events were, uh, uh, the events were 400 years. Okay, so if these out. are the people martyred under Nero. The, well, the point is that in Revelation, in Revelation, he's told, don't seal the words because the, mm -hmm. it's right on top of us. Don't seal the so words. The point is, the, right the clear thing is the time and yet period. Here we are, 2,000 years out. Daniel is told to seal the words of the prophecy. Because it's it's a while yet, and that's just and the fulfillment of that was 400 years later. Or 2000. I take the the book of Revelation as right on top of the first century church. It, it's at hand. It's near. It's now. And the, it was it was immediate. Nero, the beast, the persecuting right. beast. All of this was alive. Um, at, for the recipients of the letter. So when John says here, the number of the beast is this. And he says, this is for the guy who has wisdom. John knows who it is, right? right. John knows who, who it is, and he expects some sharp sophomore in college to be up late that night figuring it out. Okay, okay, let him who has wisdom figure this out. John knows who it is. He expects some of his first century readers to figure point. it out. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine Demetrius in Ephesus <laughs> figuring it out, saying, who the heck is Henry Kissinger? <laughs> right? Nobody's arguing that. It right. is a good point, though. Right. How many people speculate on I who can, the I can right, see someone the beast, the in the first century is, yeah. saying... Antichrist, not even mentioned the in the, the book beast, of Revelation. Six, six, yep. Nero, beast, persecuting. I believe that the beast and the martyrs are very specific in history. And you've got a very specific millennium at the end of history, but you have to make the martyrs and the beheading and the process that populates the saints for that generic. 
and I think that you should do one thing or the other mm -hmm. through the text. Yeah, be consistent. And, and I would disagree with what you're saying I'm doing. But I, I, and I just want, I'm going to make one more comment, and I just, and I'm going to leave it there, and I love Jim too. But when I read Revelation 19, and, and, and the birds of the, of the heavens are said, come gather for the great supper of God. This is 19, verse 18. To eat like the flesh like of kings, flesh of captains, flesh of mighty men, flesh of horses, and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And then it says the beast and the false prophet are, are killed. Um, Piper is mind melting. And, who had done the signs, right signs by which he <laughs> deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped its image. You'd think, wow. Just about everybody. That's just about everybody, isn't it? And if that's not enough, verse 21, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, Jesus, at his second coming. So I'm saying if you can extract out of that kind of rather extensive, exhaustive slaughter of all unbelievers at the second coming of Christ, this remnant who survived to enter into the millennium because you got to have them to propagate, to constitute mm -hmm. the nations, yeah, and so on. That's a good point. I, I, I don't have any, I have nothing more to say. I don't know what I could say to that. I, I don't know how, I don't know how you, That's I don't know how you have Satan deceiving up. nations that all just got slaughtered. They, they don't exist. They're killed by the second coming of Christ. And you can't conceive of any way unbelievers could. You read Revelation 19. If you can conceive of it, you convince me and then I'll repent. What about babies? We bet. <laughs> 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 it's the best. It's the best response. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the callback. I think, I think Sam, I love we could, the we could just say the, like an hour the rest ago. of those who were present at that moment. Oh. The rest who were there. That makes there. no sense the globe, at all. On the earth. Who were no to all that's of that. the way you're reading it. But well, you yeah, that's the way I'm and the rest were slain. Yeah, but the rest that were there. And I would say, Jim, I agree. If you the rest were slain by the sword. In a good conscience say that there are, therefore, nations left over of unbelievers and natural unglorified bodies that enter this purported millennial kingdom, right. then I just say, God bless you, and we'll disagree. So you, you disagree. said that the biggest problem for our millennialism is the meaning of anastasis in verse 6, is it? Yeah, it's consistent. And, and, he, and, I, and I would you say that. that getting natural bodies and unbelievers into the millennium is the biggest problem for premillennialism? Probably so, yes. That's What's the biggest problem for postmillennialism? Baptizing babies. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say I alluded to the biggest. I think the biggest problem for post-millennialists is grabbing too soon, is triumph. Uh, an, no, I don't mean the problem if you believe it, what to do with it. I mean whether textual. it's true or not. Text. Um, the, 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 actually, the biggest problem I have is um, is in harmonizing First and Second Thessalonians. Mm -hmm. um, that, that would we be the. Go there, but so yeah. First Thessalonians. 4.13, you take to be the second coming of... Yes, correct. And, and but, but I also take the man, of, the man of sin, the man of lawlessness yeah. as a yeah. Roman uh, That's a tough. Yeah. And I don't It's really don't tough to organize And he's already arisen and the rebellion has already happened? Well, yeah, like I said, there's a problem. That's a problem. <laughs> 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 no. no, actually it's not. Sam, no. Okay, okay. Right. We'll stop. That's for another night. I think it would be helpful Sam's, to take Sam's a Sam's book is great on that, on Second Thessalonians, because he goes through... All of the reasons why it can't be the premillennial option, and then it's very hard to be the preterist option. That it goes. We talked about that in the sure. last episode about it being in that only in the first century. Um, when he talks about the man of sin and the the temple, he sets himself up in the temple, and then um, Christ will destroy him at his second coming. And it's like, well, 
the second coming obviously didn't happen. So then how could any of that have happened? But then he also says, and you guys know who's restraining him now. Meaning like, this is something that like the people there know sure. what's restraining the man of sin. And then also talks about the temple of God. And it's like, well, the temple was still standing then. Right. The temple of uh, where um, Solomon made, you know, the temple. And it's like any temple now is not going to be called a temple of God. So like, how does that work with anything in the future to us? So it's kind of like, well, both don't really work. So then he's like, uh, how can I possibly harmonize this? And then he's like, I think after like 30 pages, he's like, I think I have to say with uh, with St. Augustine, uh, after reading Second Thessalonians, I still have no idea what it's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just a tough, yeah, it's, a tough it's tough because they knew what he, what he was talking about. And there's no way that we can know what he the things that he was talking about because he didn't tell us personally. Mm-hmm. He only says, you guys know what's going on when he's writing to the church in Thessalonica. But he doesn't tell, he doesn't go into the specifics about what they know. So now for us reading it, we try to be like, oh, maybe it's, you know, Obama is the Antichrist or like this random guy in, um, you know, Putin or whatever. Right. And it's like, how can, we, we don't know because we weren't there when Paul was, you know, if, you know, we talked about that in last week too. So it's unfortunate, but that's what, what Doug is saying. It's sure. kind of hard to uh, harmonize that when we don't have all the information, yep. you know, yep. so. Even though our time is up and, and go back where we started and ask about the practical implications of these three views. You, you were all very animated, more than I expected you to be. Mm-hmm. I, I thought this was... Uh, uh, I didn't think you expect to feel strongly, but as you <laughs> so. Um... All right, guys, we're gonna uh, end it there. So we hope you really enjoyed um, our reaction to this eschatology video. Please let us know what you guys thought, um, both about this new format of Counterculture Reacts, and also about the video itself and any um, thoughts you had on it. We are more than welcome with an open mind and different hearts. Good to, um, Yeah, to uh, to discuss this further and anything that's going on. So. Um, we appreciate you guys watching, Amen. and uh, we hope that um, it really blesses, blessed you. Yeah. So. Amen. And remember that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Christ. Amen. Amen.